Welcome, everybody, to another edition of the Inside Indy Sports Podcast. I'm Tyler James, and I'm joined once again by the one and only Eric Hansen. Together, we cover Notre Dame football, recruiting, and more for InsideNDSports.com on the Rivals Network. The uneventful National Signing Day came and went as expected for Notre Dame. The bigger developments for the Irish have certainly been on the coaching staff with the unofficial additions of running backs coach Elon McCullough and tight end coach Gerard Parker. When the Irish finalize a new defensive coordinator, the coaching staff will include seven new assistant coaches under new head coach Marcus Freeman. Former Notre Dame quarterback Brandon Wimbush knows a little bit about coaching staff turnover. He was a member of the Irish following the 2016 season and all the changes that offseason brought. So we decided to reach out to Brandon to get some of his insight on that topic. And we also wanted to talk about NIL, which has been a huge topic of discussion around college football and recruiting. Brandon and Aiden Sial, a fellow Notre Dame graduate, founded Mobile to assist athletes and businesses in connecting through NIL. So we're lucky enough to have both of them on the same podcast. Brandon and Aiden, thanks for joining us. Tyler and Eric, thank you guys so much. Uh, we appreciate it. We're excited to be here. Absolutely. Uh, Brandon, let, let's start with you. We'll, we'll do a little bit of football talk first before we get into the NIL conversation. Uh, I, I'm curious because there are, has been such a coaching turnover this offseason and you are familiar with that. What 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 do you remember being the challenges of getting to know so many new coaches during that 2017 offseason? And how did that maybe change what that offseason felt like versus previous offseasons? Yeah, I think the I think the uh, I think there's just a, there's just going to be a spark, right? I think once you once you you um, you clean house, no matter you know the results of the next season, if you clean house, there's just a, an overall excitement and an overall refreshing feeling that that overtakes the the locker room, right? And I think for these guys, they had a year of um, they had a year of Marcus Freeman, right? So they know what type of coach he is, they know what type of type of guy he is right they know tommy reese um and some of the other familiar faces but again it's a new leadership group and so they they understand what they're getting into for us in 2017 it was like let's clear house all together right let's bring in a new oc let's bring in a new strength staff right um so some of those have stayed stayed consistent uh for this for this you know in this next year so I'm, i'm i'm excited to see just that excitement take over into this next year Brandon, uh, with that turnover, I mean, you've changed position coaches, you changed offensive coordinators and so forth. I mean, did it take them a while to kind of earn your trust or or was it a welcome change for you personally? I think for me personally, um, I mean, always you're going to have to build trust with somebody who's coming in and, and he's trying to lead you uh, Right. And then you have to get on the same page and, and speak the same language, especially at the quarterback position. So I think there's more of a trust factor than any other position, guys, um, on the field for that. But I think the biggest thing that Coach Kelly did well in, in that in that realm was bringing the guy back like Tommy Reese, who's who's been in our shoes, who's been in our position, who understands what we're going through and who understands how to lead 20, you know, 20, 18 to 22 year olds. Because, he's you know, again, he was at that time, I think, only 26 years old. So he had a really good understanding. Um, and there was an inevitable trust, um, you know, factor just by knowing that Tommy had just been in our shoes, you know, three, four years ago. Brandon, speaking of Tommy, how do you expect the offense to continue to evolve with with Tommy Reese in charge of the offense now with with Brian Kelly no longer above him, maybe yeah. having more of an impact on the offense? 
I think Aiden and I were texting guys the bowl game and we were like, to, they turned into the Kansas City Chiefs in the first <laughs> half. Or they, you know, so I think Tommy has a little bit more free reign, if you will, uh, in terms of calling the offense. Obviously, now it's his it's his time to shine, and um, I think he's going to put the ball in the quarterback's hands a little bit more. I think he sees them as the best playmakers on the field, as you should, when you're coaching that position at Notre Dame, and so you got to trust them, and you got to, you know, again, put the ball in their hands. And um, I think with the guys that they have there. Uh, that it's going to be a success if Tommy sticks with that. Uh, Brandon, what are your early impressions of Tyler Buckner, what you had seen of him as a freshman last year? I think he got a little bit of me in him. I think he got a little bit of Ian, Ian Book in him. I think he's got a little bit of uh, – I think he's a good mix. I think he's a special talent, and uh, he's going to win. I think he's a winner more, more than anything. I think that's what Notre Dame looks for, and I think um, – uh, he's going to do some special things on the field and he, he competes and Drew Pines there and some of these other guys that are, they're going to be able to compete as well. So I'm excited to see what, you know, what comes about for this next year, uh, especially from the quarterback room. And um, I think opening up the offense is good. Is good to, with, with, with Buckner's talents, right. And his skill set, I think it's going to uh, really play out well for them. Brandon, what are, you, what are your thoughts on Marcus Freeman taking over the program? Have you gotten a chance to talk to him or know him at all? And what do you sort of uh, – what, what makes you excited yeah. about what he's bringing? Um, I just think the excitement, Tyler, I think you said it in your question. I think the excitement, the overall players coach, right? I know I, I'm the same way as, as him. Like, yeah, it's cool to be his players coach, but when business gets to business, like we need to win games. And, you know, sometimes – like no coach – I was reading it, like you're not going to enjoy – practicing um for any coach like football is just not going to be like like fun to practice that's just not ever going to be the case but for a guy who like coach Freeman who can spice it up a little bit and 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 bring in some some um diversity and some and some fun in in some places I think that's going to go a long way for this the program overall and as well as for this team I think everyone saw it right when he was hired heading into the bowl game just the overall excitement from the team in the locker room um, and how they re recepted, um, you know, this, this guy as, as the leader of their program. Brandon, I know we want to get into the NIL stuff, but I got one last football question for you. Yeah. Um, and that's, did Brian Kelly's departure surprise you? That's part one. And number yeah. two, would you have ever considered dancing with him on a little circle? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um uh to the second question probably not <laughs> okay. i probably would have committed somewhere else like that kid did. um uh did it surprise me a little bit like aiden and i you know aiden and i talked literally every day every hour um so and he's just as invested in the program and the success of the program as as i am my business partner so you know it, it came as a surprise you, a guy that you know, Aiden spent four years there. I spent four years there. And that's all we knew, right, was Brian Kelly. And even the last four years before we went to school, we were in high school. All we knew was Brian Kelly. And so, you know, everyone has to go through change. But, it, it, you know, it definitely shocked us a little bit. But, man, we, when you talk about opportunity for your family and doing what's right for you, you and your, I think that's what everybody has to make the decision um, when it comes down to it at the end is, is what's right and what, what's best for yourself and, and for your family. So um, 
I think, you know, he made the decision that went, that when uh, that was conducive to that, that thought. Aiden, let's not so seamlessly transition into the NIL discussion. Um, I'm curious, we're seven months in since NIL was made legal in the NCAA. What, what do you believe are the most, or what do you, maybe your takeaways, how successful do you think this has been for student athletes so far? Yeah, I mean, on the success side, um, I would say it's been overwhelmingly successful, right? I mean, at the end of the day, the reason why all this went into effect at its core was to allow athletes to finally monetize their brand and the platform that they've built over, you know, their entire athletic career, um, you know, and personal career as well. And, and I think name, image, and likeness has done that. Um, so we're extremely excited about that, especially from a marketplace perspective, right? We're on a mission to help athletes to get paid and build their brands. Some kind of observations though, that, you know, are not so, um, not so exciting for us at Mogul, right? It's, it's, it's a dirty landscape. Um, honestly, like you can't really put it anywhere any, any differently, right? State laws are in the process of being appealed. Universities are, you know, for lack of a better term, um, dirtying their hands in this space. Um, and, you know, the, the permissibility of a lot of the actions in the landscape is definitely becoming grayer and grayer. Um, but what's been really exciting for us with regards to what athletes have been able to do is there's such a great variety of what athletes have been able to do, right? So just on our, on our marketplace alone, right? Um, we've been able to facilitate deals for podcast appearances for athletes who have always wanted to go into broadcasting and color commentating. We've been able to facilitate deals for, you know, just free product or get a free burger, um, you know, on a Tuesday night, right? Um, there's so much value that these athletes provide and the variety of it was something that has even surprised us. And we're really excited about that. Aiden, we're still waiting for the first sports media NIL deal where we get burgers on a Tuesday night. <laughs> um, the, well, hey, I, I think saw, I saw your, uh, your guys's tweet like probably a month ago when all the, uh, the coaching carousel was in was, was at its peak and you guys were saying, Hey, we got to sponsor a kegger. Um, yeah. maybe that's in the cards. <laughs> that would be great. Um, you mentioned the kind of the dirtying of the, whole process and this is for both of you if you want to chime in um i think fans biggest fear is that there will be leveraging of recruits coming to a certain school there will be leveraging of people in the portal coming to a certain school and i wondered if if that's not going to evolve into a really ugly reality Who's there to stop this? Who's there to put the brakes on on this or put guardrails up to, to fix this? Yeah, I mean, the easy, is it, the easy answer is the, the organization that's supposed to be there is the NCAA. <laughs> um, but obviously, you know, we've seen how limited capacity and oversight they, they truly have into the space. Um, but yeah, I mean, you're absolutely right, right? One of the ways in which we really approach this space and, and a, a big bet that we've put on this is really ensuring that all of the businesses and all of the opportunities on the mobile platform are fully vetted and fully compliant. We automatically disclose all of that activity directly to the university um, on behalf of the athlete. So that way we ensure that you know, no funny business is going on and the, uh, the universities are fully aware of all of the activity 
that their athletes are engaging in. But generally in the landscape, right, only 10 to 15% of NIL deals have actually been disclosed. And the reason for that is because there's no repercussions into not disclosing at this point, right? There's no mm. uniform NCAA law that would say, hey, if Brandon doesn't disclose his NIL deal, he doesn't get to play this Saturday. Um, so as a result, there's very little, little incentive for universities to actually step in and monitor this either. But um, you know, it's it's the game we're playing, right? There's a lot of money at stake here from a recruiting perspective. Uh, I'm sure you guys saw the Texas A&M headlines this week. And, um, you know, we're just happy that we necessarily haven't had a part of that. The best thing about the Texas A&M controversy is somebody at the center of it is called Sliced Bread. And he's been re- he was referenced in the press conference yesterday. So I, I enjoyed that part of it. With Jimbo. But the, the thing I'll say, guys, about um, about like the recruiting and, and the portal is that like this has been happening like before NIL. So it's just under the table, right? But now some of this is stuff is, is going to be seen above the table. That's the only thing I, I'd say. Well, well, okay. Let's say it's been under the table. Now it's over, you know, it's on top of the table. What should Notre Dame stance be then? Should they push it to the limits of where the gray area starts, they push into the gray area. What do you think is the right stance for Notre Dame? You're, you're where you guys went to school, what they should do. I think they're going to do what they've always done. And that's be the class a standard. Um, and, and not dive into the, the wrongdoings of, of this NIL game. Right. I think that's part of the Notre Dame culture is doing things the right way even if that means moving a little bit slower than some of these other schools. And I think what, what, what Notre Dame is known for is what they're going to continue to be known for. And that's providing a class A education and um, athletic opportunity for any athlete. Right. I think the athletes that choose to go to that school understand what they're getting. From that yeah. The only thing that I'd add to that though, is one of the things that's really unique about Notre Dame in the broader collegiate landscape um, of athletics is that the value that Notre Dame alumni can provide and their seats within corporations and within organizations that they run is very differentiated versus, you know, Texas A&M, for example, just with regards to the professional opportunities and the, the various different values, value props that they can offer collegiate athletes. So, you know, we, we speak with Notre Dame pretty frequently. And one of the things that I think is really um, obvious is they're approaching it in the right way, but also they still want to be able to bring all of the resources that the Notre Dame network has to the table and give it, give their athletes the ability to tap into it. So while, you know, we really don't anticipate them coming in and doing anything like Texas A&M may or may not have done um, this week, we do think that there's very differentiated value that that Notre Dame brand and, and that network can provide. I'm curious uh, with with Mogul and the, the success that you guys have had so far. What what markets have been most successful for you, and and what are there any sort of trends that you sort of discovered in sort of um, identifying areas that that um, both communities and student athletes are interested in? Obviously, Notre Dame has been great for us on the athlete side. Uh, we're still growing on the business development side in South Bend, Texas. Right, Austin, Texas has been phenomenal. I think there's such a uh, sorry if it's loud in the back. There's such a uh, 
a vast opportunity to engage in Austin with the athletes, being that a lot of what's driven economically in Austin is, is driven by the uh, UT athletes. I think California, surprisingly for us, has been phenomenal. A lot of brands have, have reached out to work with athletes from both USC and UCLA and, and our athlete acquisition and brand acquisition um, has been phenomenal on that end. Um, am I missing anything, Aiden? Columbus, Ohio, we've done uh, uh, tons of business development given our relationships and our network uh, within that region. So, you know, the Midwest, Texas, and then a good part of California have been our strong suits. I throw a fun hypothetical out there to both of you. What would a 2017 Brandon Wimbush have made um, if NIL had been in play back then? <laughs> uh, I think we did this analysis. So this is something we do for our athletes. And I think mine came out to like 60 a year, uh, which I think is fair. Uh, I think it's on the modest side. Just give like you play quarterback at Notre Dame. You know how that that could go. If, if you're especially if you're successful and you're winning bowl games and you're beating the USC's or being the mission, like man, like the marketability of these athletes after those types of caliber games, and then the opportunity to capitalize on it now, I think it, I think it, it's, it's, you know, I think you hit that sixty thousand mark after you beat Michigan, you, you know, you shut them out, right? One of those types of games. So, um, yeah, I think between sixty and seventy-five k the year for me was, was our analysis. That's cool. It's not a bad, it's not bad, right? Compared to right. not <laughs> making any, compared to not making a dollar, I don't think it's a bad gig. Absolutely. Uh, so if, say, someone is a Notre Dame fan and they have a business and they would like to maybe be, connect with a Notre Dame student athlete for an NIL deal, how could they do that through mobile? Yeah, Tyler, it's super, super easy. Um, basically, you go to mogul.online. So that's M-O-G-L dot online. You'd sign up as a business. Basically, what happens then is you'll receive a verification email from our team in which we'll set a consultation meeting with them to walk through what their marketing goals are, understand how we can help them. And then you'll be granted full access to the platform. So once you're on the platform, you can filter through thousands of athletes by school, by skills, say, you know, they, they want to work with an athlete that's really talented at juggling. That's a skill. You can filter for that. Um, filter by location, filter by school, filter by sport, um, and then list opportunities that you want to engage with athletes for. So, you know, say Rocco's Pizza wants to have a few Notre Dame athletes come down and do an autograph signing on a Friday night prior to the game. Um, obviously, that wouldn't work with football because they're at the hotel by then, but, you know, whomever, um, they would just list that opportunity and invite the athletes to apply. Um, so it's, it's a fully transparent marketplace that really allows businesses to own their experience, provides direct access to athletes at scale. You know, somebody um, said to me, they said, it seems like these college kids are getting better deals than pro athletes. Um, I, I wondered in that context, is are maybe people throwing a lot of money out there in NIL and then they'll kind of realize what the market is a little bit better uh, as, as this evolves a little bit. Use their yeah. NIL dollars in a maybe more prudent way or, or be able to focus it better. I'm sure that's what you help people with too. 
Absolutely, Eric. Yeah, we, we help all of our businesses with regards to setting their budget um, and providing analytics around what their expected ROI is on that campaign. Um, so we really help them to identify the right talent and the right price for that. Um, but with regards to even professional athletes, right, this platform's built not only for current collegiate athletes, but it's also built for the Brandon Wimbushes of the world, right? The former collegiate athletes that still can go back to a South Bend, Indiana and provide a ton of value. The third string guard on the Dolphins probably hasn't heard from his agent this year, right? But he can still provide a lot of value to the University of Iowa where he played, right? Um, apologies to whoever that third string guard on the Dolphins <laughs> and their agent. But um, that's, you know, one of the really good values of our platform that it allows you the ability to still leverage that platform that you spent four years you know, or more building. What, what do you guys think is the next big development in the NIL space? Is it, is it more legislation? Is it um, more schools embracing it more openly? Um, more like booster groups coming together to sort of fund this in a maybe less or more murky way? Um, what, what do you think is the next big step on the, on the NIL, NIL landscape, which it seems kind of crazy because we're not even at a year yet. So I'm sure there's plenty of developments to still come. Um, I mean, we have ideas. Uh, we do think schools are, are starting to get more involved. I'm not sure how Aiden wants to take this, but, you know, this, these are my thoughts, right? I think schools are starting to get more involved. I think from our standpoint, we're, we're, like our, our business model is starting to grow, right? Like we're, we're starting to see more dollars be spent in the marketplace on athlete sponsorships and endorsements. So I think from day one, our, our, our primary mission was to be able to provide value to all college athletes, you know, in the NIL market, um, bringing them sponsorship deals and doing it correctly and doing it safely and compliantly. So, you know, our focus right is creating the best marketplace for the athletes and then we just stay ears to the ground right we have a compliant we have a director of compliance in-house who helps us um you know figure out where the landscape is going Tyler because it's 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 an ever-evolving space so it is important that we stay close to this to the landscape and obviously as regulation comes about then we'll have to you know potentially have to adjust um, and that's just part of being a, a founder. And that's something that's been really fun for Aiden and I is like, okay, what's, what's the news today, right? Um, what's the news next month, right? How can we forecast? What's, where, where's the business going? What do we need to be doing in preparation to be successful in two years, not just tomorrow? So um, all that to say, like, we're really focused on creating a marketplace, again, providing value for the athletes. But as schools get more involved, then we have to consider just the ways that we can service the schools, but primarily the athletes. You guys are making me feel smarter. So I'm going to go back to one more football question. And Aiden, you can jump in on this. Now, Brandon, I know he wasn't your position coach, but what do you think about Harry Heastan coming back to coach the offensive line? And Aiden, you can jump in there too, because you probably yeah. know Harry's reputation. Um. I know that I know the video is not going to be used for this, but just make a note that I smiled when you mentioned his name, <laughs> um, because I think it's awesome. I think Tommy understood what the quarterbacks need, and, and that's that safety measure, that safety net, and Coach Eastman gives that. Um, it's it's awesome. It's exciting. 
Uh, he's produced, you know, top of the line offensive lineman for his entire tenure. So um, from a quarterback perspective, I don't think there's a better hire and um, a way to make, you know, their quarterbacks feel safe. And Aiden's nodding. So we, we, he's co-signing on what Brandon said. <laughs> well, well, thanks a lot, guys. We really appreciate you taking time to talk to us, Brandon and Aiden. Uh, best of luck with your continued success with Mogul. And uh, we really appreciate you guys uh, filling us in and informing our listeners about NIL. Always, guys. I appreciate it. Go Irish, as always. All right. Now it's time for questions. You can submit questions to us on Twitter or on the Insider Lounge message board before every podcast. I'm at TJamesND and Eric's at EHansonND. First question we have is from Twitter, Eric, from at Reed Roger. Has either of your opinions changed with the coaching attrition? One of the reassuring things about the transition was how many coaches were staying. Do you think the new staff will be an upgrade? Um, I, I've written about this a little bit, and I mentioned it in chat. And I, I did some research because I, I think it's a pretty – pretty good question. Um, I talked to somebody that I know that's a retired coach that um, knows Marcus pretty well. And he said he actually thinks this is going to be pretty good. And, and you heard Brandon earlier mention he thought that seven new faces in 2017 were also a good thing. Uh, certainly the potential is there because Marcus can put more of his stamp on the program um, and I think that's a good thing. Um, you know, certainly if you made bad hires, then it's not going to turn out well, or if there's not good staff chemistry, I think Marcus and Tommy Reese, who's been really involved in the process have done a really good job of getting a mix of new faces and people that they've worked with before. Um, so I like the hires. I mean, especially when you think about the objective of having, really good teachers blended with really good recruiters. And I don't think that you've had to trade off either one with these hires. So I've been pretty excited about it. I'm, I'm eager to see how it's going to turn out, you know, once we get into spring practice. Yeah. I, I never thought the coaches sticking around was necessarily reassuring. I, I, I thought it was more telling of their allegiances or lack thereof to Brian Kelly than it was. Um, I mean, I think, it was sort of a support of Marcus Freeman as well. Like, Hey, we think that he's got things on the right track, but some of these guys have left for, for better opportunities. Um, it's hard to turn those, those opportunities down. Um, and a couple of them didn't have choices. About right. Them. Yeah. And a couple of, yeah, we're, we're asked to leave. Um, I, so, and I, I, and I always was of the opinion, which I don't know that was a popular opinion that like, if, if it was worth, if you thought Luke fickle was the better option, then it's worth waiting. I, 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 the, the continuity to me shouldn't be like the number one priority. Um, and so like, I, so, I, so I, I'm going to come at this from a different perspective and that like coaching change. And I think I even said, I, I, I wanted to go back and find it because I'm fairly certain I've said this, um, but I don't, I don't have the proof uh, in front of me to, to like play the, the, the clip or anything. But I, I remember saying like, I, I want to see if all these guys are staying after we get through the bowl game, because um, their commitment in December didn't necessarily mean their commitment would be the same in January because there were going to be opportunities ahead for those coaches potentially. So um, the attrition isn't a bad thing. Uh, I, I do think it may make this 2022 season uh, more difficult. A lot of the relations will need to be built on the fly um, with 
an important season ahead and not, not necessarily, especially with your season opener at Ohio State. Um, in terms of the new staff being an upgrade, I don't have a strong belief in that yet. I mean, that's my, I guess, cop out of that. I, I don't have a lot of hot takes when it comes to coaches that I don't know. Like I, I've never talked to these guys. Um, so it's hard for me to have very strong opinions on them. Obviously, but we East, will be talking to them soon. Obviously, yeah, but even then, like an interview isn't isn't the only thing that I would I would go. Well, I'll tell you what, of. I knew Brian Van Gorder from the start wasn't going to work. <laughs> that was a bad interview, and it didn't uh, get any better. Yeah, uh, obviously we know Harry Heastan, so I think Harry Heastan will probably be an upgrade over Jeff Quinn. Um, I think there's a, a pretty good, pos- decent possibility that Dylan McCullough will be an upgrade over Lance Taylor. Not that Lance Taylor did a bad job, but I think Dylan McCullough is a really good running backs coach. Um, I I don't know that. I think there's potential for Chancey Stuckey to be a very good wide receivers coach, but he's pretty unproven at this point. So I think it'd be pretty unfair to assume that he's going to be a better wide receivers coach than Dell Alexander. Um, I don't, I think Al Washington can be a better defensive line coach than Mike Elston, but I, I would not give him the benefit of the doubt on that right away because Mike Elston was so good um, at Notre Dame. Um, and then the other two guys, I think maybe I see maybe sort of draws and uh, sort of to be determined on with with comparing the special teams coordinators with Brian Mason and um, Brian Polian, and then Gerard Parker, the new tight ends coach, uh, with with John McNulty. John McNulty did a good job, but I think uh, I think it's easy to do a good job when Michael Mayer is your tight end too. So um, and so I think that's going to make the job easier for Gerard Parker as well. So I, I, to be determined, I, I don't. I know people want instant hot take opinions on, on coaching staff additions and subtractions, but I think it's, I think a lot of times we're, we're, we're mostly guessing rather than having very informed opinions. And um, I think, I think the way coaching hires go in terms of success sort of bears that out. Cause even the coaches that are interviewing them and, and making these decisions um, don't always make the right choices. So I don't know how we're supposed to know better than those guys. Well, because we're smart, but uh, <laughs> the, the the probably the X factor in a lot of coaching hires to Notre Dame is the Notre Dame factor. There are guys that are really good coaches until they got here. And then the bright lights were a little bit too much. And I'd say some of the assistants that Brian Kelly brought in in the first batch, Charlie Molnar wasn't ready. I think Bob Diaco in some ways was in some ways wasn't. Um, you know, some of those guys and the Stanford group that came with Tyrone Willingham, especially the coordinators, were not ready for this kind of scrutiny. Um, you know, a couple of them were really good assistant coaches, but by and large, they were much more comfortable in the laid-back atmosphere at Stanford. So that whole Notre Dame vibe is different. And then some people rise to the occasion. Tony Alford, you look at his resume and go, who's this guy? He gets to Notre Dame and he becomes super recruiter. So, um, so it brings out the best in some people and it makes other people kind of shrink in the spotlight. Next question we have is from Twitter, Christine Ortega at Christine O N D. I am starting to become concerned that the defensive coordinator search is not yet completed. Should I be, please talk me off the ledge. Okay, Christina, I'm going to talk you off the ledge. First of all, we've got a beautiful taco bar inside the window when you come back (laughs) and off the ledge for you. Um, (laughs) which is our favorite thing to do. Uh, we just haven't done it much of the pandemic. As far as the defense, I think the search is over. 
I think it's a matter of coming to a deal. And I think there's a backup plan. I think if for some reason this didn't come together at the 11th hour and it didn't with John Haycock for, you know, various reasons, uh, I think Joe Rossi of the University of Minnesota would be kind of who they would pivot to. But I, I really think it's going to be Al Golden. And I think it's just a matter of Al Golden's principles of wanting to not be a distraction for the Bengals and wanting to give everything he has for a once in a lifetime opportunity for those players and himself to be in a Super Bowl. So uh, I think there's no reason to be on the ledge. I think Notre Dame is going to get a very good defensive coordinator. And with with not having to have a major scheme change, I think it's okay. I think the timing's going to work out okay. Yeah, yeah. As long as Notre Dame gets Al Golden, then then it, I, it's not concerning. If, if if that doesn't work out, then I do think it is concerning that you waited all that time. And Tyler um, will be on the ledge with you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, because I mean, that would indicate that they sort of misread the situation and and could have hired someone else before um, having to wait to see what Al Golden wanted to do. Um, but the way this is playing out indicates that Notre Dame is pretty confident that it will work out with Al Golden. Um, and maybe they also believe that if it, for some reason, doesn't, that Joe Rossi would be fine with being the next choice and having to having waited, waited this all out to be that. So I think, I think it's a bit of a gamble to wait, but um, the people who are gambling on this are much more informed. They have a better picture of everything that is going on that, than we do from the outside. Next question is from Twitter at Mike Devoy one. Interesting that the new tight ends coach was an offensive coordinator and receivers coach at West Virginia. Two questions. Has he ever coached tight ends? And number two, isn't this a step down and why would he do that? So I guess that's three questions technically, but we'll, we'll allow it. Okay. So um, I'm not sure why he would give up being offensive co-offensive coordinator at West Virginia to come to Notre Dame. I would assume that Marcus is able to make it financially make sense. And there may be a title involved here, either run or um, I guess pass game coordinator or uh, assistant head coach. They've worked together. He could be recruiting. He could be a recruiting coordinator too. He could be recruiting coordinator, which has been in his wheelhouse before. And and when Marcus and, and um, Gerard were together, uh, Marcus wasn't the recruiting coordinator, it was Gerard. So uh, I think there's um, – so, so I think it, uh, we'll get the reveal on that here soon when we get a chance to talk to everybody and it becomes official and we'll kind of see how that went. Um, he, uh, coach Parker has a relationship with the West Virginia coach too, Neil Brown. They were, I think, teammates – together. So they had a history before they got together. He, he has coached tight ends at Purdue. I don't think it's a big deal that he doesn't have a lot of it on his resume. John McNulty had only, and all the years he coached and only coached tight ends for two years. And it was in the NFL with the chargers. Um, before that, it was, you know, it was Chip Long who had coached tight ends a lot, but then Scott Booker was before that. Scott Booker was a DB's coach. He coached tight ends for Notre Dame, and now he's back to being a DB's coach. He's coaching safeties with the Tennessee Titans. So I think, you know, 
it, it's not a big concern, especially with so much background of being an offensive coordinator, wide receiver, being a veteran coach. I think he's going to be able to step into that and do a really good job. Yeah, I mean, a tight end's coach can also lean on the offensive line coach because that person can help with the blocking responsibilities. And it's probably going to be a better here. He stands going to be a better blocking coach than uh, Gerard Parker. Is there any tight ends coach that Notre Dame could possibly hire? Um, and then the wide receiver aspect of it or the receiver aspect of it, obviously he has experience with because he's been a receivers coach. So I think, I think it's fine. He did coach tight ends at Purdue for two seasons, which, um, you would know if you read our story about him on InsideNDSports.com. So I would encourage anyone who hasn't done that to do so. Um, also, I wanted to add uh, West Virginia brought in Graham Harrell to become its offensive coordinator in January. So it seemed like Gerard Parker was already being demoted at West Virginia. So I don't know. Um, he was still a co-offensive coordinator. And that may have been uh, more of a title and money related thing. So even though maybe some responsibilities were taken away, um, that the pay wasn't necessarily cut um, as as greatly um, this offseason at West Virginia. Um, so I think that those things are probably all combined and, and the opportunity to coach tight ends at Notre Dame, I think is probably an intriguing one and something um, that I think a lot of people would be interested in doing. Um, so, and, and Notre Dame is a step up from West Virginia. I think, I think most people would agree with that. Maybe some West Virginia fans wouldn't, but I think everyone else would probably agree with that, even though, um, he might not have a, a co-offensive coordinator title and probably wouldn't become an offensive coordinator here anytime soon unless Tommy Reese were to leave. But um, I, I think that it, it, if once you sort of look at it a little bit closer, it, may, it makes more sense than if you say, oh, the, this guy was West Virginia's offensive coordinator last year. Why is he at Notre Dame now? But I think it, it makes a little more sense with those added details. Well, and, and the last uh, tight ends coach here, became an offensive coordinator, turned that into the <laughs> offensive coordinator job. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Gerard Parker might not be here for a very long time. You could, you could certainly parlay this job into uh, uh, something better for him down the, down the line as well. Next question is from Twitter at Patrick Shields zero. Any weight to recent calls for Tommy Reese to be recruited for an NFL offensive coordinator spot? You know what? After Tommy Reese said, you know, a lot of the coaches says I'm staying. Tommy Reese said I'm effing staying. <laughs> I, my antenna hasn't been up on that. I mean, I see those things, and I, unless I, I guess I thought it was a possibility. I don't spend a lot of time chasing that, so I don't know how real that is. Tyler, you might have a better feel for that. Yeah, I, I mean, the only and I, what I assume is this question is right, if reference to um, was a mention from ESPN's Dan Orlovsky suggesting that because the Rams offensive coordinator, Kevin O'Connell is being hired oh. by, by the Vikings that the Rams should see if Reese oh. wanted to become their next offensive coordinator. Um, my hunch is that it's l less informed by reporting on Dan Orlovsky's part and more informed by Orlovsky's appreciation of Reese. He, of Reese. he uh, clearly likes him. He even admitted uh, on Twitter after that, I think Pete Sampson responded to him. Uh, he, he said that he's, he was just connecting the, the dots. And he's a huge Tommy Reese fan. Um, he even suggested earlier this year that Caleb Williams should consider Notre Dame because Reese was one of the top five best college coaches to prepare a quarterback for the NFL. That, uh, that seemed like a bit of a stretch to me. Um, well, there's not that track record yet. Right. Now, now Dan Orlowski has, has spent time getting to know Tommy Reese and, and, and talked to him before calling Notre Dame games. So he has 
um, some insight there. So I, I, and I think Dan Orlowski is a good analyst. Um, I so I, I, I appreciate his perspective there. Um, I but, but I, I don't know that this is something that, that is imminent or um, I think it was more of a, 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 t- a Tommy Reese fan in a, in a, in a prominent position uh, suggesting that, that an NFL team like the Rams should do that versus like, this is something the Rams are considering. I, I don't know that there's legs to that yet, but we'll, we'll have to wait and see. I, I wouldn't be surprised if Tommy Reese ended up going to the NFL at some point. Um, it would be a bit surprising if that happened this off season, especially with this sort of opportunity being laid out for him and it being something that he's clearly excited about at under Dame. Next question is from Twitter at Flanner Jim. Brian Kelly's social media seems to be generating a lot of laughs for Notre Dame fans since his departure. What is your take as someone in the same general class as Brian Kelly, old, white, quote unquote, lame, can't we have a little fun when the camera is on? Do we always have to pose like we just woke up from our afternoon nap? Well, I'm not lame and Tyler's not old. <laughs> um, but I am lame. Yeah. You know, I thought that there were, there were some things that Brian did when he was at Notre Dame that were kind of funny and quirky. What was that? what was it called where he was posing with the sunglasses on and the folder with the guy oh, B- BK homeboy BK homeboy BK homeboy was a positive vibe a lot of people got a lot of fun out of that um and so I think that's good I, I think Dan and again we asked Brandon Wimbush earlier in the podcast if he would have had been comfortable with Brian Kelly dancing behind him and he's said he probably would have gone somewhere else. Um, I thought it was cringeworthy. And, you know, I, I showed that video to my grandkids who are not lame or old. Um, and I showed it to my mom, who's 92. They all pretty much had the same reaction. It just comes off as inauthentic. It comes off as somebody that's trying too hard. And I think what players value is authenticity. And one of my favorite BK moments in the 12 years I covered him was an authentic moment of him dancing in the locker room at Michigan State after a big win on the <laughs> road. And and where he goes, that's a megaphone. And we had so much fun with that driving back from East Lansing that night. But the best part about it was after he did that, Quentin Nelson picks him up like a rag doll and is kind of like shaking him. And and that was priceless to me. So those are the moments that I think are really cool to capture on video. The This kind of trying too hard stuff. I, I don't think that's a good look for Brian. I would yeah. advise him to do it. Yeah, there are plenty of clips of coaches dancing poorly um, in celebration of things, but not like in, in this like weird recruiting photo shoot setup. That's, that's what makes this different. Um, and... I, I, it, it seems clear to me, I mean, and maybe that's being saying it too strongly, but it seems like he's like trying to shed his reputation that he had at Notre Dame and, and he knows that he feels and knows that he needs to be different at LSU to have success. And if this is the way that he's doing that, I don't know that that's going to, going to be the, 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 the winning formula for him at LSU. Um, so I, I think, I think people, both Notre Dame fans and non-Notre Dame fans are, are up, have long looked for opportunities to make fun of Brian Kelly and he's giving them plenty of them, plenty of reasons to do that now. 
Um, he obviously knows his dance moves are bad. I don't think he like uh, is doing that. Like, check me out. I'm super cool. I think he's, I think he's leaning into it a bit, but I, I, I guess I don't necessarily get the appeal of him sort of becoming a punchline um, and what the up, upside is that is in that for him. But I think it, I mean, in the grand scheme of things, I don't think it's that big of a deal either way. I think we, 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 we think it's funny and other people think it's funny. Um, I imagine some of these recruits think he's funny too. Um, that's, that's the thing that's sort of befuddled me the most is that these re- recruits will actually share this video themselves. Uh, now I think they probably know at this point, it's going to get one somewhere else. Yeah, he did end up going somewhere else. So, and I, so I think that they know these clips are going to go viral. So that I think they also like, yeah, let's, let's go viral by sharing this clip. Um, and, uh, so, so we'll see. I, I think it's, I think it's February right now. So it's, it's a fun thing to talk about, but. I don't, I don't know that it's of grand, a grand importance long-term. Yeah, I, I've, I had a good relationship with Brian for 11 out of the 12 years. The one year, 2011, it was a little rocky. Um, and I defended him in 2016. I'm not defending the dancing. <laughs> uh, next question is from the Insider Lounge. Any Davis 2, entering year three, what are the appropriate expectations for cornerbacks coach Mike Mickens? I think appropriate would be um, better recruiting and better development of the younger cornerbacks. And I think we're seeing the recruiting part of it. I thought the hall at quarterbacks that there were some good cornerbacks in this class. I'm really eager to see Jaden Mickey and what he can do. And uh, Morrison and Bellamy are also in the class. And then he's got a top 50 um Justin Rett top 50 prospect as a cornerback nationally that's at any position and Justin Rett from Bishop Gorman so he's off to a good start there uh and he's got lots of good cornerbacks that are strongly considering Notre Dame so check off box one is trending in the right direction and I think this is a big spring for Mike Mickens and he's always had a reputation of being able to develop young cornerbacks now keep in mind he developed he he inherited a mess I mean there was not a lot of talent there for him to work with and so you know I think the expectations in year three should be higher but I wouldn't I wouldn't downgrade what he's done to this point I just think this is an important spring in terms of development of that position yeah specifically I think he needs to have four or five cornerbacks who are ready to play in the 2022 season um, it can't just be Cam Hart, Clarence Lewis, and Tariq Bracey again. Um, and those numbers four and five need to be pushing Lewis and Bracey for p- p- playing time, assuming um, Tariq Bracey does indeed return next season. Um, and, and those three need to keep keep improving too. I think Cam Hart had a pretty good season. Clarence Lewis had a bad end to the season. I don't think his I don't think his overall season was as bad as maybe some people think. I think the the way it ended w- w- sort of scars that um, a bit and see if they can get his confidence back and, and be a better player. Cause I think he, he is a better player than he has showed at times uh, during his Notre Dame career, but guys like Philip Riley, um, Ryan Barnes, Chance Tucker, maybe Jaden Mickey, maybe one of those freshman cornerbacks can be ready to play. Um, those guys need to be real contributors at the cornerback position. And that to me, that's the most important thing for Mike Mickens um, in this in this third year, and I, and I think it's a realistic and appropriate expectation for that to be the case as well. 
Next question is from Twitter. Cheryl Russo at Cheryl R. Bunch of numbers. Do you think Notre Dame will use some of their tight ends more as slot receivers due to low receiver numbers? And I appreciate Cheryl enlightening us about what those numbers after her name meant, because I mentioned something on the podcast and she did respond and let us know what that was. Um, they're not as, they're not her social security number. <laughs> <laughs> so so I, I don't think that they're going to, to use tight ends in the slot more. You do have some that, you know, some that are flex tight ends. I mean, Michael Mayer can do that. Holden Stace can do that. Uh, probably Eli Reardon can do that if he's healthy. So you're talking about some of the younger ones. Um, I don't know about Mitchell Evans, how he fits as a, but, but I think Notre Dame has enough receivers and has enough slot receivers if they don't have injuries. Right. You know, I, I think you, Avery Davis, if he's back, he's great in the slot. You can throw styles in the slot. Tobias Merriweather told me he could play any of the positions and he's <laughs> confident that he can be in the slot. So um, and then you you have running backs that fit there. I mean, certainly Chris Tyree was. I could see Diggs being in there, not Audric, but um, Jadarian Price had a lot of receptions in high school, and they feel like he can be that kind of versatile back too. So I think there's a lot of options for the slot. Yeah, and I, I would add it's, it's not a new development for Notre Dame's offense to use the tight ends in the slot. I, I looked up some of the pro football focus numbers. Uh, Michael Mayer on passing plays lined up in the slot 49.1% of the time last season. Um, and overall 36% of his snaps came at the slot. Um, so that that's not a new development. Obviously the health of the receivers last year probably played a role in that. Um, and so I, I think that's why you maybe um, if you're talking about the 20, although Tommy Tremble would probably played a lot in the slot the previous season too. So um so, yeah, I mean, I think they will continue to do it rather than do it more. I think it would probably be the way I would say that um, because Michael Mayer is going to line up all over the place. Um, I don't know that there's a second tight end that they would feel comfortable with doing that. I mean, if Kane Barong keeps progressing, um, I think he's a guy that could do something like that. I want to see where he's at from his recovery from his knee injury last season. Um, I, I think that's somewhere he's probably somewhat comfortable Um out of the slot, um, I, I don't think that's necessarily where George Takis belongs. Or uh, I, I'm open to seeing if Mitchell Evans could do that. And then, like, Eli Raird and Holden Stays could certainly do that eventually. I don't know if they'll be able to be ready to do that as freshmen. Um, so I do think it'll be a part of the offense. I don't know that it'll be a greater part of the offense than it was this past season. Next question is from the Insider Lounge. Rhino1134. Tyler Buckner, Chris Tyree, Logan Diggs, Michael Mayer, Lorenzo Styles, Deion Colsey, a potential great offensive line coached by the best in the business. This should be a great offense, shouldn't it? I don't know where you put the um, – draw the line between good and great, but I would say it's going to be an improved offense. You know, Notre Dame was a good – very good scoring offense at 19th. They were total offense 45th. A lot of the reasons why there's difference in those numbers is because of the turnover margin and, and the defense scored some of the touchdowns. Um, they also put the offense in good place, good places with extra possessions, with uh, churning a lot of turnovers and giving them short fields at times. 
but I think it's going to be a better offense. The, the thing is, what would make it great? I guess if Tyler Buckner made a huge leap in his development and the wide receivers were the surprise position group of college football in terms of their consistency and being able to uh, make defensive coordinators nervous. You know, I think the offensive line isn't going to be great next year, but I think it's going to be make a big surge and that it's going to get better as the year goes on. So, you know, when I think of great offenses, I look at what Ohio State had last year. That was a great offense. Um, I don't think Notre Dame is in that neighborhood yet. I don't think they've developed that kind of talent yet. Uh, yeah, I wouldn't say they're there yet, but I think there's potential for them to get pretty close to that. Um, and I think uh, I, it all comes down to Tyler Buckner. Um, I think – I don't know that much needs to be said. If, if he develops the way Notre well, Dame – I just believes, said extra. I said wide receiver <laughs> too. It, But, yeah, I mean, I, I think that – I think – I don't think Notre Dame's wide receivers are bad. Um, and, I don't uh, either. But and, do they have something like – somebody like um, – I don't even know how to say his last name, the hyphenated kid at Ohio State. Enigbo, is that how you say his last name? <laughs> in Jigma Smith, or Smith and Jigma, I can't remember the order. Jackson Smith and Jigma. Uh, but anyways. Um, Mr. Hyphen. No, although I. They don't even have a hyphenated receiver. Uh, no, but I, I mean, if you told me Lorenzo Styles was as good as him next year or in two years, I wouldn't, I mean, that would not surprise me in any I way. I think Lorenzo Styles is going to be really good um so th there are there is talent there that they, they need to be healthy I, like I, I don't think Braden Lindsay's gonna be play like that guy but um I I think that there there is potential in this offense so um can it be great absolutely I think the offense can and maybe even should be great or the offensive line um because there is a lot of talent there and I I, I think uh Harry Eastan will get that figured out sooner rather than later so um, I think there's reasons to have expectations for this offense to be really good. Um, will it be as good as Ohio State was? Um, maybe. And, and listen, Ohio State wasn't as great at, at the beginning of the year on offense as it ended the season on offense. So um, that that could be. Um, I mean, if that's if that's the way Notre Dame's offense develops this this upcoming season, I think Notre Dame fans would be thrilled if that's the outcome. I don't know that that's exactly fair to expect it to be that good, but. Um, I think if, uh, if they're the number one offense in the country, like Ohio <laughs> State was, Tyler, I will buy you the beer, a case of the beer of your choice. <laughs> well, thanks. Uh, I, I will not uh, I will not wager anything about them being <laughs> reaching that potential. But I think there there is a lot of potential for this offense. Uh, next question is from Twitter at Patrick Shield Zero again. How do you see Notre Dame being able to recruit major offensive weapons in 2023? Marcus Freeman has landed fantastic defensive weapons, but any major offensive recruits? Well, at least they're involved with them. They, they're involved with some really good quarterbacks. They're involved with some really good wide receivers. They're involved with some really good running backs, and they have one already committed in Cedric Irvin Jr. Um, they've got a tight end committed in Cooper Flanagan that's pretty good. So this really is a defining year for Tommy Reese. And I think he's stepping into that role and he's embracing it. He's really leaning into being the go-to guy in recruiting. And it's going to be interesting 
to see if Marcus's involvement from start to finish with the recruiting makes a difference in how powerful Tommy can be as a recruiter where Brian Kelly was more the closer. So I think that's just a really interesting dynamic. But I think at the end of the cycle, we'll have a very good idea about who Tommy Reese is becoming as an offensive coordinator, a play caller, and a recruiter. I think this is a fascinating year to keep an eye on him. Yeah, I mean, I think it's important to say that they have been able to get some offensive weapons previously, just not enough of them and consistently enough. Um, I think the 2021 tight ends, Eli Raritan and Holden Stades is a really good combination. Um, I don't think you need five-star running backs to be successful, but um, Chris Tyree was very highly recruited. Kyron Williams had a lot of success. Um, he wasn't that highly recruited or highly rated. Um, and same with Logan Diggs. Um, I think there's a high, uh, a bright future for him. Lorenzo Styles, like I mentioned previously, I think if you take like the, the four guys that Notre Dame got at receiver in the last two classes with Tobias Merriweather, Lorenzo Styles, Deion Colsey, and Jaden Thomas, that, that would be a good one, a really good one class. It's not as good in two classes. So that's sort of Notre Dame's problem there. Um, but yeah, I, I think that Notre Dame is able to, I don't know if they will. That's the, I mean, that's what they have. They have to go out and do it. They have to win Dante Moore's recruitment. They have, or if they don't do that, get Christopher Vizina. Um, I think, uh, at wide receiver, they're in the discussion for Carnell Tate, Jalen Brown, um, Rodney Gallagher, um, Malik Elzey. Um, those are all guys that Notre Dame has a chance with, but you have to win those. Can they do it? Um, I think it's possible, but uh, we'll have to see how it plays out. Next question from the Insider Lounge, ND025876, which I guess I probably should have said a bunch of numbers if I'm being fair uh, for what I do for Cheryl. Sure, uh, yeah. The two questions, what options are in the portal for a wide receiver? And if ND strikes out with Dante Moore, do we have a backup plan? Well, the receivers that I think Notre Dame might end up with, receiver or receivers, are people that are not yet in the portal that will jump in the portal after their spring practices and get in there before the May 1st deadline. So... I think that's where you're going to see a lot of quality. You're going to see the next wave of talent. And that's when Notre Dame will know its situation better, how healthy its receivers are, how much progress you've seen from Jaden Thomas, Deion Colsey, and um, Lorenzo Styles, and, and so they'll have a better chance of assessing what they're looking for. Um, the backup plan to Dante Moore right now is Christopher Vizina. Vizina. Um, Tom Lemming, I talked to him yesterday or the day before he had just seen him in Birmingham. He was really impressed with him says that he has Josh Allen tendencies. Um, but he still thinks Dante Moore is the better of those two quarterbacks. Uh, there's a kid in Kansas. Oh, what's his name? Off the top Avery, of my head. Avery, Avery Johnson, Avery Johnson. That would be, I think plan C. And I think he would commit to Notre Dame today if they pushed for him. Um, I know that there's some people asking about Neo Nico Iamalieva uh, from Downey High School in California. I, I think Notre Dame's on the outside looking in from him. I, I think they'd have a lot of work to kind of push back to get getting into the mix for him. I'll tell you what, I saw him. I don't watch a lot of the recruits film 
but I watched him throw and it's like a catapult coming out of his arms. It's a really interesting how effortless a deep throw is for him. He he's he intrigues me. I I would be excited if I were, you know, invested in trying to recruit a quarterback for my own team and he was interested in coming. I'd be pretty excited about that. Uh, um, so I don't have a college football team to coach, so I'll just coach <laughs> Notre Dame's for them from the press box. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't have a lot to, I, I guess to add, you, you named a lot of the, the quarterbacks, um, that matter. I, I think it's important to remember Notre Dame has seven offers out. Um, and there, there are probably more than seven good quarterbacks in the country. Um, so if Notre Dame doesn't get the guys it wants, like Dante Moore or Christopher Vizzina, um, it could go and offer other guys and there could be still quality guys out there that we're not talking about right now, um, that Notre Dame is aware of. Um, that, that they can move move for. So um, I think certainly um, the preference would be to get those other those guys we've mentioned, um, Dante Morris being at the top of that list probably. Um, but I think uh, that's that's where the focus is. I mean, even Jackson Arnold, who committed to Oklahoma, that's someone that I think Notre Dame would probably circle back to um, to see, hey, are you sure you, you, you really want to go to Oklahoma and don't want to come to Notre Dame? Um, as for options in the portal, my receiver, yeah, I, I'm in agreement with you there. I, I don't know that there's a lot of guys in the portal right now that are a fit for Notre Dame, um, both in terms of like the academic requirements and being good enough to be worth bringing in for Notre Dame. So I think Notre Dame is still going to continue to monitor that, um, and I don't think that there is a decision that will be made here soon on, on what that outcome will be. There's still plenty of time to add someone ahead of the 2022 season. Next question from the Insider Lounge, SJB75. JT Daniels will spend the entire semester at Georgia, graduate, then transfer in the summer. Does Tommy Reese make a run at Daniels? Um, I think my read on Tyler Buckner right now is that Notre Dame is committed to him to be their future at quarterback. Now, there's a couple things that could happen in the spring to change that. One is an injury, and one is maybe he doesn't play well, and Drew Pine comes out in a draw with that or or pulls ahead of him. And I guess at that point, I think maybe you do look at JT Daniels. I think it's something you've got to consider, but I don't think that's where Notre Dame's going to end up going. And I don't think JT's going to be interested in Notre Dame. I think right. Tyler Buckner is what who Notre Dame thinks is their future at quarterback, and he will have a chance to prove that this spring. Yeah, I, I think uh, the transfer portal conversations too often sort of ignore uh, what the what the player would be interested in. Um, if 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 Notre Dame is as confident in Tyler Buckner as we believe they are. Um, JT Daniels isn't going to be interested in coming to Notre Dame because I don't think he wants to come to another school and lose another quarterback battle. Um, he needs to play. He's had too many, too many times in his career where he's been sidelined by injury um, and prevented him from sort of achieving his potential. Um, so he's going to, I would imagine he goes somewhere uh, to play. I mean, I don't know that he wants to go somewhere to be the backup to win a national championship because he's already done. <laughs> he's already done that. Uh, so, I mean, 
would Notre Dame have a conversation to see where JT Daniels head at if, if he wants to be a backup quarterback at Notre Dame or with an outside chance of becoming the starter? I'm sure Notre Dame would, would entertain that. Um, but I don't think that's what JT Daniels is looking for. Um, so I don't necessarily expect Notre Dame to push him unless um, the spring doesn't go well for Notre Dame with regards to Tyler Buckner. Next question from the entire lounge, E. Reynolds, what's the word on how Gabe Rubio, Jason Anye, and Chance Tucker are developing? The one that I've heard the most about is Gabe Rubio, yep. and there's high hopes for him to push into the um, rotation at, in the interior defensive line. And uh, Jason Anye haven't heard a whole lot about, came in as a project. I think he still is a project. Um, Chance Tucker, I really liked him as a recruit, kind of as a long shot um, guy that would uh, kind of shock, maybe shock people. Um, and I still have high hopes for him because I really like his, the way he's, his makeup is and, and I like his track speed. So I, I'm really curious how he's going to play this spring. Sometimes I don't listen to the rumblings as much just because I don't believe them. I want to see it with my own eyes first before I get too excited. I remember even standing next to Brian Kelly uh, one June when they were doing their OTAs and he was raving about this grad transfer, Cam Smith, that came in from Arizona State. And there, there was no way that day you could talk Brian Kelly out of the fact in his mind that Cam Smith was going to really impact their offense in 2017, and he didn't. Um, so I want to see it with my own eyes, but that's what I've heard to this point. How about you, Tyler? Yeah, I, I, I pretty similar things. I, I think Rubio is going to be in a position to push for playing time. Um, I – I haven't heard much about Jason Anya. He needed a bit of a physical transformation. Um, I'm curious to see where that's at. I don't have an update about what he, um, what is height and weight. Well, I guess we could look at the roster for what that is, but what what that actually means beyond just the numbers of what he what what sort of condition he is in. Um, and I, I also like Chance Tucker as a recruit, but I never heard him really mentioned last season. So those two, um, being Anya and Tucker, um, need to take advantage of the, the opportunities ahead of them in the spring to, to push themselves up the, up the depth chart. Next question from Twitter's from Marie Biafore at Biafore underscore Marie, which players slash position groups need to step up the most in the spring for Notre Dame to be a legit playoff contender? Well, Tyler said quarterbacks and there's not much more to say about it. <laughs> I will say quarterback, wide receiver and cornerback. And to a certain extent, the safeties, I, I think there's a comfort in Brandon Joseph transferring in and you've got an All-American that you can plug in there. But I think, you know, there's only six of them. And I think you still need to get more out of Houston Griffith. Um, you know, I think that it's exciting what Ramon Henderson did last year. Xavier Watts looks like he's on a, a nice trajectory. Justin Walters shows potential. But, you know, D.J. Brown and Houston Griffith need to play like veteran players next year for them. So I'll even throw the safeties in. Yeah, I, I'm with you on the first three. You mentioned quarterback, cornerback, and receiver, and that would be the order that I have it in. I, I think cornerback 
in the spring, we need to see more partially because wide receiver, I don't know what we're going to see from Avery Davis and Joe Wilkins um, because of their injuries um, in the spring, but Braden Lindsay taking the next step and Deion Colsey um, being ready to potentially start. Um, I think those are important uh, spring developments that I'm curious to monitor at the receiver position. Um, the cornerback stuff we, t- I t- we touched on earlier when I talked about Mike Mickens uh, and the expectations for him and, I, I think I, I've made it clear that I think Tyler Buckner needs to be the real deal for Notre Dame's offense uh, to to meet its potential. Um, I think I'd say offensive line potentially just because uh, there is there will be some shuffling there, um, not a lot of it, but um, certainly seeing what what the new five looks like together. Um, but I, I guess I, I guess I'm just so confident that it will happen that Me it, too. Doesn't, <laughs> it doesn't necessarily feel like a a concern going into the spring. Uh, next question is from Irish fan one zero two on Twitter. Off-season question: Did Jalen Smith ever fully recover from his bowl game injury to his previous athletic prowess, or has the lackluster pro career been the result of the mental side of the game? Smith was cited by virtually all Notre Dame fans when discussing the two bowl opt-outs. Yeah, now we haven't talked to Jalen in a while. I'd like to get him on the podcast at some point. I remember in the months that followed the injury, he said if he had to do it all over again, he still would have played in the game. I'm wondering if he still feels that way at this point. And I think even when I did the story on him graduating, he still felt like it was he he would have wanted to play in the game, um, in the Fiesta Bowl game. And that was at the end of the 2015 season. I don't think he ever got back to his um, 100% self, physical self, Jalen was a freaky, freak, freak athlete that uh, had the unfortunate, um, the unfortunate experience of playing for Brian Van Gorder for two out of his three years. And I don't think was used to his full potential. And even then became an all American. Um, so no, I mean, he would, I would, he would do Kyle Hamilton things relative to the linebacker position. And I didn't see him do that in the pros, even admittedly against better athletes, but he deserves a ton of credit for being able to get back to where he was because there were people that thought he would never play football again. And I would never doubt the mental side of Jalen Smith. I think the guy's incredibly bright and incredibly mentally tough. Yeah, he had he had one really good season, um, and he got a big paycheck. That being in the NFL, as a result of that. Um, but even then, I still don't think he looked as explosive as he once was. Yeah. Um, and so that's that's made a difference. I, I, I won't pretend to be an expert enough on watching Jalen Smith every week in, in in the NFL to know why he has been failing specifically. I, he doesn't look uh, great in the in the times that I've seen him. Um, he has a really bad – he's had really bad run defense grades um, from pro football focus. Um, so, I, I obviously, that is something that he's struggled some with. Um, so, I, I think it probably has more to do with his physical abilities and, and probably being so used to being able to do certain things um, that he just can't do um, with regularity um, anymore. But, I, I mean, Jalen would be the best to tell us that and people that have coached him and played with him rather than – us to schmucks on a podcast, but that's at least my uh, 
perspective here from South Bend. That was the alternative name for our podcast. <laughs> Two smucks on a podcast. <laughs> that 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 limited it. We didn't want to do that because we didn't want any of our guests to think that they were one of the one of the one of the schmucks. <laughs> A uh, couple more questions, and these are basketball questions uh, from the Insider Lounge. John Mitchie asked, should Mike Bray return as head coach if Notre Dame fails to once again not make the tournament? I think the way recruiting is going, I would bring him back, a- unless they just were awful down the stretch. They have nine regular season games left. If they just had a terrible collapse and missed the tournament, you know, went two and seven down the stretch, then – you know, and was an unmoded. But I like the way he's recruiting right now. I, I'd, I'd give him another year. Yeah, I mean, I would understand moving on from Mike Bray if that does happen, if they fall short of the tournament, because this seemed to be a team that you should have the, the ingredients to make a make a tournament um, with. Um, I, I, I don't feel comfortable having a super strong opinion on this as, as what I would consider an outsider. We, we, we weren't covering the men's basketball program previously. Um, right. We're picking that up now with Inside Indy Sports. Um, so I, I'm coming at this probably less informed than even even many fans. We were we were lucky enough to work with what I believe the best men's basketball beat writer uh, in the market you know, in Tom Noyer at the South Bend Tribune. So uh, we leaned on him for our expertise on the basketball program. But we'll we'll, we'll learn, learn more. I mean, I, I feel like I know more about this team than I've known about previous teams. Um, right. at, at Notre Dame. So uh, I think four seasons and what would have been probably five seasons um, without an NCAA tournament appearance because the one, one season was canceled. Uh, there's really no excuses that a team um, like Notre Dame should go that long without, without a tournament appearance. And especially, like I said, the, this team with so much senior experience on it um, isn't in a place to like, but I, I do understand the Blake Wesley's future, JJ Starling's future. Um, those are reasons to be excited about the future and, and giving Mike Bray the opportunity to coach those guys. Um, I think is fair, but I also think it would be fair if um, Notre Dame decided to, to look elsewhere um, if this team doesn't make the tournament. Um, last, lastly, speaking of making the tournament from the insider lounge, RRH1 asks how many wins does Notre Dame need to make the NCAA tournament? Again, my this is advanced math for me. So I'm <laughs> looking at they're eight and three in the league. They're they're tied for second place in a three way tie behind Duke, a half game back. They're fifteen and seven overall, and they're on the wrong side of the bubble. So what do they need to do to get to the right side of the bubble? They have nine regular season games left, all with teams below them in the standings. So they better have a good record against them because there's not the oomph in their schedule until they get to the ACC tournament right. to get the kind of wins that's going to lift their, you know, com- net rankings up or whatever we want to call them, their Ken Palm ranking up. <laughs> um, so I think they need to go minimally six and three in that last nine and be respectable in the tournament. But I'd say to be safe, be seven and two and be in that, very top tier of the ACC. I know the committee said they don't look at, you know, what league you're in and so forth. Uh, But again, they don't have a lot of quality wins left. Five out of the nine games are at home. I I just think, 
you really have to make a statement like Notre Dame did last night in the road win against Miami. Yeah, I mean, it doesn't look like the ACC. I mean, it, it might not get six teams in the tournament, which which would be sort of unheard of and not not the norm for the the conference. But there just isn't a lot of really strong teams in in, in the ACC this season. Um, so I, yeah, I think seven of nine was what I was was uh, pro- projecting as well. Went out at home, um, and then win two out of four on the road. Um, if, if one of those is at wake, if, if you don't win at wake, I think you might need to win three out of four on the road. And so maybe win eight and nine and then make it to the ACC semis. I think that could probably get Notre Dame into the tournament. There's just not a lot of big time wins left on the schedule um, for Notre Dame to sort of push off the, push themselves off the bubble, off the bubble without winning, winning out most of their regular season games and then making a decent run in the ACC tournament. Now, obviously, the farther they go in the ACC tournament, the more wiggle room that they would have um, with the regular season. But um, some of some of these teams that they're playing to close out the regular season, a loss to them would would not, especially if you lose to Boston College for a second time. That's just like, how, how do you let how do you let it, that team in the tournament if they lost to Boston College twice? Um, so there are some definitely games they cannot, cannot afford to lose left ahead on, on Notre Dame's schedule. All right, that's it for today's episode of the Inside ND Sports Podcast. If you don't already, you can subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and other popular podcast platforms. If you like what you hear, give us a rating, leave a review, share our podcast feed with a friend or family member. We'll probably be back next week with another podcast, I would say. Um, Until then, stick with InsideNDSports.com for your Notre Dame football offseason coverage needs.